Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. It's commonly understood that on the evening of October 27th, in the year 312, with armies preparing for battle, Constantine had a vision which led him to fight under the protection of the Christian God. And, of course, his victory became a turning point in the history of the empire and certainly in the history of the church. Join me right now to share what we actually know about uh, the Battle of the Milvian Bridge and the vision and the Constantine's uh, conversion. I've asked Dr. Thomas Madden to join us. He's professor of history and director of the Center for Medieval and Renaissance Studies at St. Louis University, the author of many books, including Istanbul, City of Majesty at the Crossroads of the World, uh, The Concise History of the Crusades, and check out his modern scholar lecture series with titles like Heaven or Heresy, A History of the Inquisition, or God Wills It, Understanding the Crusades, or uh, the Medieval World, uh, Society, Economy, and Culture, and their outstanding lecture series. Tom, good to have you back here. Thanks for joining us. Great. Uh, thanks for asking me, Al. I always enjoy talking to you. Well, let's go, let's go to the sources for this uh, vision, the story of the vision. Uh, how do we know it? Um, sure. The, well, the, uh, the written sources, the primary ones are... Um, uh, Lactanius, which is very fairly short, but the the one that's much more useful is Eusebius. Um, Eusebius was a a friend of Constantine's later in life, and um, he wrote a, a history of the church, and then he also wrote a um, a history a biography of Constantine. And um, Eusebius uh, spoke to Constantine about his conversion experience. So we really do get it right from the horse's mouth. Wow! Um, from that, and um, what? Uh, so, so those are those are the, uh, the the main narrative sources. We also know um, that have good corroborative evidence from the fact that his coinage that he minted when he became emperor used the symbols um, that he talks about later when he uh, tells his story of his conversion. So it's it's. It's a pretty strong evidence that what Constantine is is telling his friend um, is, in fact, uh, what happened. Yeah, and honestly, yeah. he would have no reason to make up a story like this. It, it didn't really serve him in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, it was something that he truly believed that he that really changed his life. Do we know what the sign looked like visually? Um, ac- according to um, uh, Eusebius's count, he says that, and, and it. Um, it may not. He, Eusebius doesn't actually say it's the night before. It could be at any time okay. before. Um, perhaps when he was on the march, it's hard to to know. Um, but he says that uh, during the day he initially saw a vision of a a cross in the sky um, over the sun, and um, and that next to the cross was. The, the words um, in hoax signal, win case, the, in this sign, you will conquer. Mm-hmm. And then he was somewhat uh, surprised by this. Um, Constantine previously had been a worshiper of the sun god, um, the unconquerable sun. And um, so he was somewhat confused by this, this sign and the words. And then that night, uh, he had a vision in his dreams that Christ appeared to him 
and gave to him a new battle standard for his legions and told him that that um, he wanted him to adopt this new standard and that it would lead him to victory against wow. his rival, Maxentius. And the battle standard... Uh, now, for, for Roman legions, the battle standards were incredibly important. Um, each legion had its own standards, and they really identified with them very much. In fact, some of them worshipped them. They, hmm. they, had like, they would have I- idols on them. Um, it, it was almost impossible to find a legion that didn't have some kind of idol on it. Uh-huh. And in this case, Constantine is literally telling his legions that they have to change the, the most revered thing that they have. Wow. And it has to now be this new symbol, which is, um, it's, you see it in every Catholic church. It's the, the Cairo, the, the thing that looks like a P and an X, mm-hmm. superimposed over each other. And that was a early Christian symbol. It's a very common Christian symbol. Um, it's the first two letters in the word uh, Christus, Christ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, Constantine very much believed that uh, he was being given this for a reason. And you have to remember, this was a time in which Christianity was being vigorously persecuted. Yeah. For the last decade before this, Christianity was it was illegal to be a Christian. What would he have and, known about the Christian faith at that point? Um, he would have known probably the same things that most Romans kind of knew about it. They, it was considered to be a pretty lower-class religion. It was generally thought um, that they were... that that they were harming the Roman state and that they were, um, uh, they were, they were, they were doing it in a way that they were, they, they refused, for example, to, to sacrifice to the emperors. Uh, and they refused to uh, doing the, the civic kinds of duties that other Romans would do. And, um, and so this led people to be extremely suspicious of them. And Diocletian a, a decade before had begun an empire-wide uh, persecution. Now, um, Constantine's mother, St. Helena, um, there's some speculation that she may have been kind of a closet Christian. Okay. It's possible. Um, it's also possible that she, that she wasn't. But the reason some people think that is that when she and Constantine were in Trier um, for uh, several years, the, the persecution of Christians was done very half-heartedly. They, the, the edicts weren't really enforced. And so some people have, have thought that, that um, Helena, and Constantine was very close to his mother, um, that, that Helena and Constantine were kind of, had, had a soft spot for Christianity. Mm-hmm. But whether that was true or not, we have no idea. It's pure speculation. All we know is that, is that he had this, religious experience. Uh, in fact, he, he considered himself, later in life, he considered himself to be like an apostle. And in fact, in the Greek Orthodox Church, it's not unusual to call him an apostle, hmm. uh, because, okay. because Jesus came to him just the same way, as Constantine would say, the same way that Jesus had come to Paul. Yeah, yeah. Um, St. Paul never met Jesus in life, but he met him on the road to Damascus. Yeah. I, I, is there any... Looking at this as a historian, could anybody make the argument that Constantine thought that Christianity was a good bet? <laughs> you know, well, this, this is what strikes me: is that it doesn't sound as though 
if he has the vision and so he acts on the basis of the vision, were there other reasons he would have identified with the Christian God uh, from, you know, from a standpoint of human calculation that this is somehow going to help yeah. me in the battle? And as you might imagine, there have been historians that have, have argued that. Um, partic- it was particularly popular like in the uh, er, in the early to mid 20th century when it, most historians tended to view anything that was um that that had any kind of religious element to it as a, there, there must be some other reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um they, they couldn't possibly have done this for for religious reasons. So what is it that he's getting out of this? Yeah. And some people would argue they would argue well he knew that the empire was a mess and that he needed something that would bind everyone together. And so he decided to pretend that this all happened, and then when he, um, and then when he became the emperor, uh, then he he used this as a way of getting rid of paganism and trying to bind people together in this new, this new religion, so that they would all be kind of bound together. The problem with this um, theory is that I mean, if you really wanted to bring, you know, let's say that you decided to do something like that, it's hard to imagine how an emperor could do it. But let's, for the sake of argument, say that he would. Why would you pick the one religion that was the most reviled in the Roman Empire? <laughs> right. I mean, why not pick his, the religion that he's familiar with, the right. Unconquerable Son, or pick Mithras cult, which was fairly popular? Um, there are all kinds of cults that you could have picked. Why pick the one that the state is actively persecuting, <laughs> and which the state has been telling people for a decade is causing the, the demise of the Roman Empire. It's also clear from um, what he did immediately afterward. I mean, he immediately issued the Edict of Milan with uh, his colleague Licinius, which ended all persecutions of Christians all throughout the empire. And he also took a very keen interest right away. He he clearly believed that God had had chosen him for a purpose, Mm -hmm. not only to end the persecution, but also to help fix the church, because the church had just been so damaged by the persecutions for that long, mm-hmm. and he wanted to put the church back on its feet again. Um, so he took a very keen interest all throughout the rest of his um, his uh, uh, t- time on earth uh, as an emperor. He took a very keen interest in the health of the church, never in the theology of it. He was no theologian. Mm-hmm. Um, but and also he believed uh that that the church was created by god and that god would make his will known through the church so as far as theology went he relied on the church for that yeah uh, but he saw himself as the secular ruler whose job it was to protect the church and to give it the the physical uh, wherewithal to be able to um to survive and to restore what had been what had been destroyed. So, and he does this all the rest of his life. Yeah. Now, the other argument that people would use sometimes for Constantine is that they would say, well, he never got baptized. Right. I was just actually, I was going to go there. Yeah. Yeah. Until his deathbed. Um, so how serious of a Catholic could he have been if he never got baptized? But actually that was a very common, in fact, some churchmen actually advised um, a man like Constantine not to be baptized. And the reason was was that at that stage, the theology of 
the forgiveness of what we would today call called mortal sin mm-hmm. wasn't exactly clear, and um, particularly bad sin, sins against God, mm-hmm. and and so. If you were going to be in a profession like being a Roman emperor, where you were going to be waging war, um, ordering executions, um, those types of things that the church wasn't really sure about yet, right? um, because they had not had emperors as Christians before, Mm -hmm. uh, then the the conservative view was just hold off. Because the one time they knew that you could be forgiven of all sins was at baptism. Right. So what they would do is they advised him, hold off on the baptism, do everything else, you know, go to church, um, not receive the sacraments, but but go to church, pray, all of the rest of it. And then he always kept churchmen, usually bishops, around him at all times, so that if he were suddenly to become ill— uh, he could be baptized right okay. away. And it wasn't just him who did this. Other emperors after him did the same thing. Theodosius uh, did the same thing, too. Yeah. So um, the, it was, but the, but the art, but my point is, if in fact he was not, if this was all a joke, it was all just made up, right? then why would he not have got baptized right away? Exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it only made sense. Yeah. The fact that he waited to get baptized was clear evidence that he thought this really mattered. It mattered. And, and he really wanted to go to heaven. Yeah, and, po- post-bap- um, and in fact, post-baptismal sin was a, was a real threat to that. It was a real threat for, a, for an emperor. Yeah. Because yeah. he's likely to do something that he is worried is going, to, is going to knock him out of heaven. And in fact, he planned his baptism out. He was, in fact, he liked, to, he liked to, to plan this. When he got older, he had this whole plan that he was going to... Um, be baptized in the Jordan River <laughs> so that he could be baptized like in the same way that Christ was. Uh-huh. And he was on his way there, in fact, when he died. Um, and uh, um, But the, the bishops were with him um, on the road, and so um, they baptized him, and, wow. and all was well. <laughs> Great. <laughs> it's such a compelling story. <laughs> Tom, thank you so much. Great talking with you yeah, again. Thank you, Al. Dr. Thomas Madden, Professor of History and Director of the Center for Medieval and Renaissance Studies at St. Louis University. Uh, Again, take a look at his uh, Modern Scholar Lecture Series, uh, one from Jesus to Christianity, History of the Early Church. They're great.